0: We're in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. If you would turn there with me and stand, we're going to read the passage and then get into it. 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12 this morning. 1 Peter four twelve, And Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore... Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Uh, Have you ever known someone who liked to show their scars off? Have you known those kind of people? We had a guy at a youth group uh, that I uh, was the junior high guy for quite a while, and this guy showed up every single Wednesday night with a new injury. And, you know, it wasn't the kind of thing where he'd walk in and go, oh, I'm hurting. It was the kind of thing where it was like he'd run up to you and say, hey, look at this. Look at this. Uh, You know those people? Isn't it true that uh, what makes or breaks a scar is the story behind it? It's it's such a reality. I mean, if you break your leg doing uh, some type of awesome BMX trick, uh, that's a big deal. Or if you uh, you know break your leg trying to save a child, you're pushing them out uh, out of harm's way, maybe out of the street so they won't get hit by. A car, But it's another thing to break your leg for something stupid, right? I mean, if Andrew Liebig, he's in the back there running these slides right now, if, if he walked in with a broken leg, it would be one thing if he told us, you know what, there was this kid, I saw this car bearing down on him, he was in the street, he was trying to help this little cat, and I ran out there, and I, I threw him out of the road, and the car just clipped my leg, and oh, it, you know, I broke my leg. Uh, you would go, wow. But it'd be a totally different thing if he broke his leg when he was riding his, his bike with no hands, and he's drinking a milkshake. He's trying to impress press a girl as he's balancing Precious Moments dolls on his head. That'd be a totally different thing, right? And we go, Andrew, Andrew. We probably wouldn't be very surprised at him doing this. we go, buddy, you've got to change your ways, my friend. You know, one, one is heroic, right? One is heroic. The other is just plain dumb. It's just dumb. You don't get any medals for being dumb. I'm sorry, Andrew. I'm sorry. We'll talk more after this, okay? I'll pray for you. <laughs> you don't get medals for being dumb. But on the other hand, suffering for the right reasons, well, that's something to actually celebrate, isn't it? If you're wounded in battle, you get a purple heart. the story matters the reason matters and of course there's one act in history one historic act that takes the cake right it's the ultimate example of courage of selflessness of love for others it's the ultimate story behind the scars behind the suffering and that's the sacrifice that christ made on the cross Though he lived a perfect life, he offers himself up, offers that perfect life up on our behalf in place of us to be executed for the crimes that we committed. And you and I are the people that he died for. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a story, right? That's incredible, Philippians 2.8. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Right, he, this, this, this act is celebrated, bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. So the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on, and, and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one has ever received such a high honor as that and no one ever will. But the ones who trust in Jesus and live all out for him, they have the distinct privilege of sharing a small part in his sufferings and in his glory. That's what Peter wants us to see. He wants us to see how suffering for the right reasons is something to celebrate he wants christians to understand the curious relationship between the crucible and the crown four key things that christians need to understand the first is this christians need to understand that suffering it's not accidental don't be surprised Verse 12 said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Maybe you've heard this before, that deep down inside there's an unmet desire that that every person has. There's there's, there's something missing inside of every person. People know that they're, they're not quite complete in themselves, and so they search for things to fill the void, to fill the emptiness, and they search in all kinds of places. They search for things like relationships, or, or thrill rides, or, or exotic cars, or uh, clothing, or, or sometimes money, or, or houses, or positions of power, or, or relaxation. That's a big one. What about, what about avoiding pain? People just want to avoid pain, no matter how ridiculous the efforts they have to go to to get there. And yet, of course, we know, at least I hope we know, that the emptiness that people experience can only be filled by God. That, that's what Blaise Pascal, that French mathematician and philosopher and theologian, I think there's a couple things on his pedigree as well, um, That's what he said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Human beings were designed for God, to need God, and to find their completeness in a relationship with God, knowing him there There are a lot of people who come to Christ they they feel that emptiness they recognize that there's something missing the, the, the pastor convinced them yes uh i, I there 's an empty void inside maybe this Jesus thing is going to fill that void, but they never really understand that that Jesus is the thing that that fills that void rather than Jesus is the thing that helps me get all the things that I need to fill that void. You see the difference. <laughs> Instead, they think they, he's just a way to get what they need, and they think that if they obey what the Bible says and do what God wants them to do, then God is going to take away all of their pain, <laughs> and he's going to give them those nice things that they want, the cars, the, or, or the perfect husband, the perfect wife, or any number of other blessings that they can imagine. And so they're, with their new membership card to the, the Jesus Club, they pray and wait for the big man upstairs to, to open up the tap and let the good flow out on them. I'm waiting. Send it down. I'm ready. I'm praying. problem is, well, it's not biblical. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Jesus did not on the cross so that people could go continue to search for happiness Apart from him, he did it so that we could know him and experience him and, and, and know the joy that comes from knowing him. But the thing is, if you may agree with that. But the thing is, if if you're going to experience the joy of of knowing Jesus, part of that joy means you're going to have to know something of his suffering. Isn't it true that once you join forces with someone, their enemies become your enemies? We've talked about that in the past few weeks. We see that happening uh, as people align themselves with, Uh, different political campaigns or or a candidate or something like that. You make a public declaration that I'm for this person or I'm for this cause and you, well, you instantaneously take on all the heat that comes with that. And that's what coming alongside Jesus does. This shouldn't be news to anybody. This shouldn't be surprising to us. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. He said to his disciples, remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so Peter says, don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't be surprised when after placing your trust in Jesus, things begin to get harder rather than easier. This isn't anything unusual. And this is not just a coincidence here. This goes with the territory. It's part and parcel with Knowing Jesus, aligning with him, it's going to mean that you take on the hatred that he experienced living in a world that was hostile to the creator. And yet here's the thing. If knowing and being known by and finding your new life in Jesus, that's what you've come to see as all-surpassing, and and all-fulfilling, and and meaning-infusing, and joy-producing, and the identifying mark of your existence, then sharing in his suffering, it's not something that you want to avoid. On the contrary, it's a privilege to be desired. Isn't that where Paul was? In Philippians, third chapter, he says, That I may know him. This is like heart's cry stuff. That I may know him, that I may know Jesus. I had all these other accomplishments, all these other trophies, all these diplomas, all these different things that pointed people in the direction of of, my life is very significant. My life is very well accomplished. My life is awesome. All of that is just like garbage. What I want, what I really want, is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship, he says, of his sufferings. He wants to share in his sufferings. Wow, that is strange. Or is it? Suffering is not accidental. Suffering is elemental. It's elemental because it comes part and parcel with following Jesus. It's not accidental because it's the key way that God reveals his people to be his people, and through it, he also refines his people. Have you read the book of Malachi lately? Of course you have. That Italian prophet, Malachi. Verse 1 says this. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Malachi says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? Do you get a sense of how awesome God is? It's right here. And he describes what God is like. He is like a refiner's fire. And like a fuller's Soap. I had to look this up because we don't want to talk about fullers very much, but it was basically it's a fuller is someone who takes like sheep wool and, and cleans it and purifies it uh, and, and they have soaps or whatever to, to get this thing clean. He's like that fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refined them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Do you see the imagery here? Do you see the picture here? It's a a picture that that tells us that suffering, it's not meaningless, it's not accidental. Suffering is, is a crucible to purify and to prove his people Like like someone creating a fine piece of jewelry. You want all the impurities out of that metal. Or someone creating a fine piece of clothing. They want that cloth spotless. God wants only the finest, only the purest, only the most beautiful materials. And so for the people that he's going to gather around himself like a garment to display his glory. He's going to clean them, and he's going to refine them until they radiate. Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial. That word for fiery trial in the Greek, this is language that is used for describing that process of melting down metals and extracting the impurities. I, I, I have to wonder if Peter had Malachi 3 on his mind. This isn't something strange. This is something that God does. He calls people to himself, and then he roots out all the garbage. All of the impurities, all of the infection that might be within his people, he takes it out, he extracts it from them. He purifies them by leading them to repent of their sins to recognize their need for him. Like I'm falling on their knees pleading, saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Change me. Shape me. Give me a new heart. And at the same time he does that, he, he exposes something about his people. He, he, he exposes the work that he has actually done within his people, when they go through suffering and they turn to him and they continue to trust him, other people look and they say, there's something weird about these guys. Yes, I think these are his people. They are undeniably his people. How else could they endure that kind of suffering and come out, even in the midst of it, praising God? And you think of Job. If you spend a lot of time in God's word, uh, or you've gone to Sunday school or, or to church for a while, then you might remember the story Jesus told about the, the farmer, and he's tossing out seed. And, and really the, the story is not about the farmer, and it's not necessarily about the seed. The, the story is about the soil. And there are different types of soil that receive the seed, meaning the truth of the gospel, God's word. And he described a certain type of soil that was rocky ground. maybe you recall that. And the seed falls on the rocky ground. And the seed actually, it it germinates a little bit. And and it's got these tiny little roots that grow and it kind of springs up. But then he describes the heat, the summer heat. We've known a little bit of that recently. And it scorches it. And it burns whatever was growing to a crisp because it, it didn't have any root, it couldn't grow. That's, what, that's, that's kind of what we're talking about here. The, the, the crucible of suffering shows up in people who even say, you know, I, I, I believe in Jesus. Oh, no, the suffering's coming. I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore because he betrayed me, and I don't, I don't think I could be on board with him anymore. He was supposed to make my life wonderful, and look at my wife, life right now. Why, God? How could you let this happen to me? I trusted you. when his people go through suffering and continue even as hard and as gut-wrenching as it is and I know some of you have suffered and are even suffering right now experience the loss of loved ones or the crushing weight of the economy right now and you feel it and you bring it to God and you don't put on that mask saying everything's okay God look at me I'm still doing fine No, you plead with him and you confess your need to him But you come and you praise him and you thank him all the same, saying, God, I trust you. Help me to trust you more. It reveals something of the work that God has done inside of you. The suffering that God allows us to go through, it's not accidental. It does stuff. It does stuff. It comes with knowing Jesus, it also reveals that we are his and it refines us into the people that he wants us to be. Christians need to know something else. They need to understand that future glory is proportional to suffering. The extent to which they endure the crucible of the fiery trials, that impacts the joy that they will share with Christ on the other side. Peter writes this in verse 13. He says, rejoice, rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. How do you typically react when you're going through a hard time? (laughs) Depressed, angry, sad. What about when people look down on you? What about when they insult you? disregard you, avoid you, maybe even intentionally do you wrong. With the normal response is, I don't think I like that very much. (laughs) That kind of makes me feel a little sad. Makes me feel a little angry. Makes me want to defend myself, retaliate a little bit. Peter says, no, 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 rejoice. Are you serious? Yes, rejoice. Celebrate. And thank God for the privilege in sharing in Christ's sufferings. Share in Christ's sufferings, what do you mean by that? No, I don't mean that you share in Christ's sufferings in the sense that you are helping uh, contribute to the forgiveness of the sins of the world. You're contributing to this great work that Christ, no, 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 we're not talking about that. But you share in his sufferings in the sense that you are experiencing the same type of suffering. You're suffering for good. You're suffering for righteousness. You're suffering for, for God's purposes and Christ's name. When you suffer for being a Christian, you suffer for all that the name of Jesus represents. His life, his death, his resurrection. The fact that there is salvation in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. Did you know that the name Christian, that wasn't invented by followers of Jesus. They had a way of referring to themselves. They they called themselves the way. Or they they simply called themselves the brothers. It's like this this is the family. This is the family of God here. Christian was a word that was made up by the haters. This was a derogatory term. They mocked the followers of Jesus by calling them Christians. These little Christs. (laughs) The people that belong to that guy. Remember that guy that we killed? And They meant it for shame. Christian? Ugh. How appropriate, then, is it that the people who trust in Jesus, they gladly, they they proudly embrace this as a badge of honor. Yes, you're exactly right, Christian. That's me. For them, for for us, Christian means that we are associated with him. (laughs) We have fellowship in the suffering, in the death, in the resurrection. Yes, even in the glory of Christ. That's why Peter writes in verse 16 here, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. They were trying to shame. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We rejoice Because we know that when we suffer for the name of Christ, we're sharing in his sufferings. And we rejoice because we know that to the degree to which we suffer, that actually impacts the reward that will be received. Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. He takes a step further. Takes a flying leap further and says, leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. There's a reward for suffering. Amen? The crucible ends with a crown. Peter wrote, insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings. That, that, that means the, the degree to which you suffer. When God when his glory is revealed, our joyous sharing in his glory, that's going to be greater depending on what we have suffered. Verse 1 of chapter 5 says, we're going to be partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. And yet so, so often, we're just trying to avoid suffering like the plague. Do you do that? Any high schoolers in here? When you're at your school, how tempting is it to fly under the radar? Let's just fly under the radar. It's clear. Everyone's talking like this. Everyone's doing this. Everyone's into this new cultural, social stuff that's going on in the world. Everyone's starting to use personal pronouns here and make everything all twisted and confused. And you know what's true and right and good. But you know that if you make any of that known, even the slightest little whiff, that they're going to come after you. They're going to mock you and they're going to cancel you and they're going to call you a Christian. Oh no, not that. He says rejoice in that why are we shying away from this stuff why are we not proudly gladly saying christian yeah that's me right here it's on my lawn here for you guys all to see it's on my car it's everywhere i go to church and i don't like sneak into church i just walk in and people can see me they know what's going on here because i want to be identified with jesus Because I know that as I'm identifying with Jesus, and even as I'm sharing in his suffering, that there is glory awaiting me on the other side. That's what I want. And don't get me wrong, I know this is hard. But it's good. It's good. Jesus is in his glorious state right now. We don't see that, do we? We don't see it. We see all this stuff going on all around us, and yet he's in his glorious state. That's what happened after he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven. He is in that glorious state, and one day it's going to be revealed. Jesus said of himself in Matthew 24, 30, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and all this kind of stuff sounds like fantasy or science fiction to us, and and this is what Jesus himself said The stars will fall from heaven. The powers of the heavens will be shaken. It's literally like planets moving out of their orbits here. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Can you imagine what that day is going to be like? (laughs) How much longer is it going to be until it gets here? Are you ready? What about now, Lord? So rejoice. Future glory is proportional to the suffering you endure right now. Rejoice. because, Because... if it's because you bear the name Christian that people insult you, then get excited about that because God's glorious spirit is even now, even right now, living inside of you, marking you, identifying you as one who is going to be with him. That's what Peter says in verse 14. Christians need to understand suffering's not accidental. Not accidental. They need to know that the more they suffer, the more glory is headed their way. Thirdly, They need to know how to differentiate between uh, what kind of suffering produces a crown and that which produces shame. Christians need to understand all suffering is not equal. It's not equal. We already read in verse 16, there's, there's no shame in suffering as a Christian. But what does that mean? Suffering as a Christian? Does that mean that anything I do in the name of Christ results in suffering that's going to end in glory? Is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean that. He writes in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Everyone in Peter's day, well, hopefully everyone, knew that that murder was not a good thing, (laughs) Of course, the the zealots, we've talked about them before, they were willing to do anything and everything. They were even willing to commit murder. In fact, that was kind of their go-to, to upset and overturn the Roman rule. They wanted to free Israel from Roman rule, so they'll do just about anything. It's all in a good cause. We have good motives here. We want glorious Israel to rise and God to get glory from this. So we're going to go kill that person over there. And we're going to go upset this, uh, this uh, rally over here. And we're going to do all these different things to try to disrupt the Roman rule and hopefully lead this thing to topple. And so Israel is going to rise. Murder, though, was punishable by death. And so zealots knew what this might mean for them. Murder was punishable by death. So was stealing, actually. Punishable by death. Peter lifts both of these things off right here. These are unbecoming of Christians. Christians should not do these kind of things. Don't murder. Don't steal. If you didn't learn anything else today, take that home with you. Okay? <laughs> That's good. Good advice. You don't go out and kill someone because they, you, you think they're an enemy of the gospel. You don't go out and steal a bunch of someone's stuff because they're promoting a lifestyle or an ideology or a campaign that's not in line with God's design. You don't do that. Christians don't do that. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize this when I was a kid. <laughs> uh, and uh, my parents told me that, that getting drunk was bad. And so on our way to church every morning, we'd drive on the 210 freeway, and we'd drive through Irwindale, and there was this brewery there. These massive tanks, which I imagine were filled with that golden liquid, that evil golden liquid that people drank. And I used to imagine, this is true, I used to imagine someday maybe I can grow up and maybe I can go to an army surplus store and maybe I'll get one of those grenade launchers and I'm just going to lay over on the other side and I'm just going to launch a grenade launcher and one of these things and, and they're going to erupt in this glorious golden spectacle and, and the beers are just going to flow out onto the freeway and I can imagine the people getting out of cars; they are going to be lapping it up and I'm just going to be laughing at them and saying, well that's the last you're going to have of that and I just thought this is going to be amazing. Why don't Christians do these kind of things? We just got to put an end to the evil that's going on in the world. I uh, guess it's probably a good thing I didn't do that. <laughs> you know, murder and theft, they're, they're, they're pretty obvious, but, but notice what he also mentions here. He says, as an, as an evildoer or meddler, we may know that it's not right to repay evil, with evil, Paul tells us that, right? Overcome evil with good. in In Romans twelve twenty one, Jesus said, "You've heard it an eye for an eye, a tooth for a t- tooth.' But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the, the right cheek, turn turn the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, well, we'll let him have your cloak as well." If anyone forces you to go one mile, as the Roman soldiers were were able to do, grab anyone off the street and say, hey, you're carrying my stuff for a mile. He says, go with them too. There were all kinds of abuses, all kinds of injustices that took place in the Roman world. Jews were forced to do all kinds of humiliating things. And the same was true for those who would be called Christians. But the retaliation that... The evil for evil was not the way. And so Christians needed to think twice before they risk bringing suffering upon themselves for the name of Jesus in ways that Jesus would not approve. you got to think twice about that. Even, Peter says, meddling. And meddling is kind of a gray area, isn't it? kind of a grayer, trying to stir up some type of trouble, kind of indirectly. No matter how good the intentions may be, meddling's not going to be honored. If the crucible that we endure is going to end in a crown, it's going to be for the right reason. Suffering is glorious only if you are innocent and righteous. We need to understand that suffering is not accidental. We need to understand that the proportion of the glory that we're going to receive, well that's proportional to the to the suffering that we endure. But we need to be able to distinguish between what is suffering as Christ suffered, sharing in his sufferings and what is something else. Finally, Christians need to remember that while their suffering is temporary, for others it will be eternal. We've got to remember this. Verse 17, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. I know that's confusing. We'll explain that. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will be the outcome or what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. When Peter says judgment here, he's talking about what we re- would refer to as adjudication. Adjudication. He's talking about this process of determining what is right and what is wrong. Who's guilty? Who's innocent? Who deserves to be praised and who deserves to be punished or condemned? That's what this crucible that we have been talking about does. It it has a determining element to it. The just suffering that Christians endure is something that it reveals and exposes them to be God's people, as we have already said. It also refines them to look more and more like their Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the judgment that has begun for them. If you are experiencing suffering for Jesus' name, that you are, you are experiencing that kind of judgment, that kind of adjudication, that kind of proving, exposing, showing who you really are. That is the judgment that has begun for Christians. It's not judgment in the sense that they are being punished for their sins, and that's very important for us to remember. Jesus took that punishment, right? The judgment that's begun for them is a determining kind of judgment, that testing. The crucible of God's refining process, this is not easy. This is gut-wrenching. It can be a fiery trial in the truest sense, something that should truly be considered suffering. But what Peter wants us to see here in verses 17 through 19 is that there is a contrast between the suffering that Christians endure, a contrast between that and the suffering that people outside of Christ will experience. The difference is stark. Well, Christians will come out glorious and pure, radiating with the righteousness of their Savior. Unbelievers, not so much. This is a message that will not be received well by our culture, by the way. They will not want to hear this. This will be extremely offensive, and it is. I can't do anything about it. It's just in here. This is God's word. Look back at Malachi one more time. Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze. This is disturbing. Set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Revelation 20, 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, that is God's book saying who, is, who are his people and who are not. Anyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus describes this in Matthew 25, 41, as the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. My friends, there's there's a crucible awaiting. A cauldron whose fires will know no end. Let me me just paraphrase Peter's words. This This is what I'm getting from him right here. If Christians who have been forgiven by God, if they have to go through this kind of suffering, then what is it going to be like for those who have not been forgiven by God? What is it going to be like? Sure, we Christians have to go through some suffering in this life. Let me tell you, it is nothing compared to the suffering that everyone else is going to go through. It doesn't compare. It's one thing to suffer at the hands of people. It's a totally different thing to suffer at the hand of a righteous and holy God. Well, the suffering that Christians experience will reveal and refine them as God's people, resulting in their glory, judgment experienced by people who were not in Christ will show them for who they really are and result in eternal torment. So what's your story? Everyone suffers. Jordan Peterson says, suffering is a characteristic of life. He's not wrong. Even more right was Wesley in the 1987 movie Princess Bride, who said, Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. (laughs) The question is, what's the story behind your suffering? Is the suffering you're going through just a precursor to the eternal misery everyone who has rebelled against God will one day face? Is that what it is? Just a precursor? Just a little taste of what's coming? Or is it the temporary suffering of those who hope in Jesus and are merely passing through the crucible on their way to the crown? If you're the former, uh, let let me urge you. Consider the offer that Christ holds out to you, that he paid for with his life. He says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Shall he live? Would you believe in Jesus now if you haven't already? Confess that you're a sinner in need of forgiveness. I don't have it all together. In fact, I have flat out rebelled against my maker. I deserve the judgment that's coming. Confess that rebellion. Trust in Jesus that he took all of that upon himself. Your guilt on him went to a cross and said, I'm paying for this for you, and trust in that. And as he rose three days later, victorious from the grave, he says, I conquered this. Debt paid in full. And that can apply to you. And all you have to do is write us a check. No, all you have to do... (laughs) Some churches might encourage that. (laughs) All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I I trust in you. My faith is in you. I'm turning from this old life. I want to be yours. For those who are already in Christ, let's follow Peter's call. What was that call? Rejoice. In our suffering. Let's entrust our souls to our faithful Creator while we continue to do what is good. Amen? Amen. Servers are going to come down. We're going to take communion. And we're going to remind ourselves and each other of the dear, precious price that was paid for our salvation that brings us through the crucible and to the crowd.